0: Welcome to State of the Bay. I'm Grace Wan. Every Monday night here on State of the Bay, we're live and local with news, conversation, and culture from this place we call home. Tonight, we're excited to do a deep dive into San Francisco government. We'll look at what's working, what's not, and what might change to address some of the problems our city is facing. We'll be taking your calls, so be sure to reach out to let us know if you have questions about how our government works and what reforms might lead to better outcomes. And then... We'll sit down with two leaders of the San Francisco Bay Area Theatre Company, an innovative local organization seeking to bring more diverse voices to Bay Area Theatre. Their New Roots Festival is coming up next weekend, and you won't want to miss it. But first, this news. Welcome to State of the Bay. I'm Grace Wan. Later this hour, we'll be talking to leaders of San Francisco's Bay Area Theatre Company about how they're supporting Bay Area artists and striving to bring more diverse voices to local theatre. But first, we're taking a look at how San Francisco's city government works, or maybe doesn't work. Despite being in the Bay Area, where the 21st century is being reinvented by technology every day, San Francisco city government has 20th century, I mean, maybe even 19th century problems. It's been beset by corruption scandals. It has a board of supervisors that's often locked in ideological battles. And residents say it's hard to get anything done. A new report by the community group Together SF and the Institute of State and Local Government at Claremont McKenna College offers a series of proposals that it says will help the city run better. Spoiler alert, they say the mayor needs more power. Tonight, we're unpacking the suggestions in that report, and we're joined by Kanishka Cheng. She's the founder and executive director of the nonprofit Together SF. She previously served as Mayor Breed's liaison to the Board of Supervisors and as a legislative aide to former Supervisor Mark Farrell. And just to clarify, while Together SF co published the report that we'll be talking about tonight, they had no part in writing it. Welcome to State of the Bay, Kanishka. Thank you so much for having me on. Delighted to have you. We're also joined by Sharky Liguana, CEO of Band- Bandigo, a former president of the Small Business Commission, and a current member of the San Francisco Homeless Oversight Commission. Thanks for joining us, Sharkey. Thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, it's p- pleasure to be pleasure to have you here. And we're also joined by Jason McDaniel. He's the associate professor of political science at San Francisco State University. Welcome back to State of the Bay, Jason. Always a pleasure to be here. Well, before we dive into a discussion about possible changes to our system, let's give our listeners a framework of how is it? How exactly does San Francisco city government work? There's a board of supervisors. There's a mayor. What happens next?
1: Well, there's our, there's citizen commissions. There's you know ballot <laughs> measures. There's how we how we vote. Um, San Francisco has long been studied on this very issue. You know the type of government. It's been a, a city that's you know, been at the leading edge of innovation in the early 1900s. It's, you know, in the in, in the late 1990s, I think we're still having these kinds of discussions on balancing the power of, of mayors versus elected officials versus appointed, you know, government leaders that maybe are more experts and insulated from politics, you know, really trying to trade off between sort of representation of, of diversity in neighborhoods versus, Government, you know, policy that's maybe more efficient or, or you know, uh, works better in some ways. So this has been a long history of this, um, and so I think it's glad, it's good that we're having this debate right now.
0: And I mean, where is power um, when you look at the Board of Supervisors, the appointed officials, and the mayor? Where, how is power distributed? Is it really, does the mayor have a lot of power?
1: So theoretically, I think San Francisco, uh, the mayor of San Francisco is one of, if not the most powerful mayor, to, certainly probably in the, in the state of California uh, and perhaps in the country, given that uh, the, the the city and county of San Francisco is not unique, but one of the few consolidated cities and councils uh, and counties, giving the mayor authority, uh, budgetary authority, especially, uh, and some control and policy authority over many different Different types of agencies that many cities, if not most cities, do not have control over. So, on one asp- on one hand, uh, the, the the 1996 charter reform created a clear lines of authority for the mayor, uh, um, giving the mayor authority over uh, more authority over citizen commissions uh, um, or, or commissions. Uh, uh, also, you know. Taking away power, uh, executive authority from unelected uh, 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 appointees uh, that were had life tenure at the time, so eliminating those offices and and rebalancing power to a mayor and to a board of supervisors. Right. Mm-hmm. However, since then. Uh, a lot of ballot measures and other actions have happened to also input into our uh, changes into our charter that have chipped away at some of the mayoral authority. The clear lines of authority that were created in 1996 that were clearer uh, um, are no longer as clear. We've created a lot more commissions, uh, um, new departments that have less mayoral authority. So the answer is it's pretty complex, right? In theory, the mayor of San Francisco is incredibly powerful, uh, a strong mayor system, no doubt about that. But in, in practice, it's not so so simple, and it's much more complicated where the mayor is sharing authority with, with the board of supervisors, with, with commissions, and, and has less authority over hiring and firing department heads. It's a more complicated picture with at still at the same time the mayor being the most influential, uh, authoritative, and powerful elected official in San Francisco. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about that.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure, that that combination of being – a mayor of a city and also in charge of a county. I mean, the bu- the budget of San Francisco is something like sixteen billion, right? As a result of that. Well, Kanishka, I wanted to talk to you a little bit because you've worked across various branches of government in San Francisco, and I was curious what you saw there that maybe wasn't working so well. Because your report and kind of the approach that your or- organization Together SF has taken, it seems to be that there are some systemic issues that need to be addressed.
2: I think that's something that I experienced a lot working for uh, the city, which I worked in the bureaucracy and departments and the planning department and the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. I worked at the Board of Supervisors as an aide and then also in the executive branch. And something that's very clear is that there is no clear authority on things. I think um, an anecdote I've heard to describe San Francisco is it's a strong mayor city, a strong commission city, a strong board city, a strong ballot city. We have a city administrator as well. And so it is hard to know who is in charge. When you work for a department, um, you have to report to your commission, right? They're your direct boss. But that commission is influenced by the Board of Supervisors and by the mayor. So you end up having, what is that, like, you know, 15, 17 different individuals that have sway on the work of the department that don't agree. And so as a staffer, you're often trying to figure out, well, who am I trying to please right now? What's my critical path to getting something done, to getting the best public policy done? It's often very unclear because there are so many differing
0: lines of authority. Mm. And Sharky, I want to bring you into this conversation. You've said you've served on a variety of commissions, and you've said that before you became head of San Francisco Small Business Commission, you didn't really know who your district supervisor was. Um, So you were a little bit of an outsider. Now you've spent time as a commission head, (laughs) so you're an insider. What's your reflection on how city government's functioning?
3: I mean, uh, it's remarkable how quick you go from outsider to insider.
0: Uh, <laughs> it just takes one appointment. I think that's what yeah. it takes, Sharky. Yeah, uh,
3: yeah. Uh, you know, look. I, I, I fundamentally, um, I, I, I just really struggle with this idea uh, that uh, the city is well served by having people who aren't elected. Who, I mean, if your typical average voter doesn't even know who their supervisor is, how in the heck are they going to know who's on their commission? Uh, and then this idea that the people in, in, in commission langu- legal language parlance, they they call it the appointing authority. So the commission, uh, a commissioner is appointed by the mayor and the mayor is the appointing authority or the commissioner is appointed by the supervisor. And the supervisor is the appointing authority. It would stand to reason that the appointing authority should be able to remove their commissioner, but they can't uh, in some cases, in some cases they can, in most cases they can, but in a few cases they can't. <laughs> uh, and I just think it's, it's crazy that in a city where most people don't even know who their supervisor is, the actual person with uh, the highest degree of influence on the thing they care the most about, uh, they ha- actually have no input uh, into uh, how that person gets their seat and even the people they elected to put them into that seat can't remove them if they're not happy with the decision making process. So, uh, you know, I, I think commissions can serve when they're, when they run well, they can serve a productive and helpful uh, 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 service by allowing people with domain expertise to advise government mm-hmm. on policy and, and, things that they might not know a lot about. When I was on the Small Business Commission, I felt like the Small Business Commission uh, did a, did that pretty well. But uh, it breaks when you have uh, people that have views that are divergent from their appointing authority, and now all of a sudden there's, there's no practical way to remove somebody who was never elected to be there in the first place.
0: Well, we're talking about how the San Francisco City government works or maybe doesn't work, and we're joined tonight by Jason McDaniel, who's an associate professor of political science at San Francisco State University, as well as Sharky Laguana, he's the CEO of Bandigo, and a former president of the San Francisco Small Business Commission and current member of the San Francisco Homeless Oversight Commission. And finally, Kanishka Cheng, she's the founder and executive director of the nonprofit Together SF. Together SF, along with Claremont McKenna, has published a report that has that we're discussing tonight that offers proposals on how to improve and streamline city government. And we want you listeners to join the conversation. What frustrations do you have with our city government? What do you think works well? Or have you worked for city government or served on a commission? What's your reflection about your service? This is your chance to have your voice heard. Give us a call. We're at 866-798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. Or email us at stateofthebay at kalw.org. Or send us a message on Twitter also known as X, Instagram or Facebook, we're at State of Bay. Um, so we've been talking about, you know, what what the kind of state of play is, and I really wanted to go to you, Kanishka, to talk about this report that Together SF commissioned. Um, I I take it there's general frustration among your organization's members um, with the perceived failure to address some of the city's most difficult problems, shortage of affordable housing, public safety, kind of this beleaguered downtown. Are those the reasons why you decided to look at the government structure versus those problems themselves?
2: Yeah, that's a big part of it. I think um, the thought process that we were going through was even if you elect leaders who say all the right things, who sound like they are very aligned with what the general public wants, right? This is the message they're getting elected on. This is what they're getting elected to do. They get into power and they seem to be stymied left and right when they're trying to do something, whether it's trying to move the bureaucracy, trying to move their colleagues on different branches of government, There seems to be a lot of gridlock and inability to get things done and certainly an inability for our city to be nimble and quickly respond to the crises as they pop up. And so that kind of led us to think about what is the structure and what is structurally preventing these leaders that we're electing from carrying out the things that they say they want to do. Um, I think we also thought about the government structure as wanting it to be kind of solid and able to withstand who gets elected, that the people have a direct authority to hold whoever's elected accountable if they can't carry something out. A big part of what we experience now is a lot of elected officials are able to point their fingers at others. They can point at commissions, they can point at the board or the mayor, they can point at department heads that they don't have the authority to hire and fire. And it creates a lot of confusion for the public. And all of us are sort of sitting here with our hands in the air saying, how can we have a $15 billion budget, 30,000 city employees, and not be able to solve even one of these major problems that our city has been dealing with for five, if not 10 years? Mm. Um, And I think a lot of that comes back to the structure. And so we wanted to make the structure as efficient as possible so voters have... direct authority on people they're electing.
0: Well, Jason, you referenced this when we were talking about the strong mayor issue, that the 1996 amendment to the city charter had offered kind of very clear guidelines on what the mayor was supposed to do and what the mayor could not do. And that, you say, has been eroded over time. Why has that eroded?
1: Well, I should point out as the only outsider apparently here on the panel. It's really <laughs> good to be asked that question. Um,
0: you know, you're one. You're probably one appointment away from being on a commission, Jason. No, so <laughs> I, I, I,
1: people have talked about that, and I have fled. I, it helps to be lazy. Too. <laughs> not, uh, please ask Sharky to be on all the commissions yeah. myself. But um, so you know, look. I studied. I started studying this before the 1996 charter, before I was in San Francisco, uh, when I st- was first in college, actually. Uh, San Francisco had, was a case study for this kind of thing, and it was quotes like the ungovernable city. There's a quote from one of my mentors, uh, Rich DeLeon, talked about hyperpluralism squared, right? Mm-hmm. These are not new issues. The thing that I think really stands out to me about what's happened since our 1996 charter, but also before that, is the use of the ballot system. Our our ballot measure system in San Francisco is something that the, the people of San Francisco, I think, care quite a lot about it. They really trust themselves more than they trust politicians, right? And at almost every opportunity when asked, they will take power sort of to themselves and, and, and take it away from politicians, even ones they might like, right? Uh, and what we've seen is that since the 1996 charter reform, ballot measure after ballot measure has basically uh, chipped away, I think, mm. at, at, at the mayoral authority. For instance, on, on commissions, uh, there were some clear lines of authority on mayors appointing uh, majorities or sometimes entire commissions, uh, members of, of the commission some of which are quite large, uh, that has often been somewhat restricted where uh, they're now subject sometimes to board approval where they might not have been before, uh, where the mayor's ability to hire and fire department heads have somewhat been restricted by commissions. Not entirely, but again, somewhat. It's not that technically the mayor doesn't have these powers. They're just subject to often board approval, board veto, commission uh, um, uh, processes as well. So that overall, what we have done is created a system that I think I perhaps unintentionally, has been even more ungovernable or more complex than it was before. Mm-hmm. And it was a stated goal of the 1996 Charter Reform Commission to make it clearer yeah. and, 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 and uh, um, you know, plain language, although they didn't succeed that entirely. And I think we've made it so much more complex because we value things like citizen input, citizen participation, not just expertise, as, as Sharky was saying, but we want to hear community voices. We want to hear from mm-hmm. neighborhoods and neighborhood leaders. And that's a great thing in, in theory, the commission system is really good about bringing in the concerns of citizens and communities to the elected officials. Um, but I think in practice, what we're seeing is that it's a complex melange of things that not even the insider experts really know uh, who, to, who to hold accountable for some of our problems or lack of action on some of our problems.
0: I mean, a, a democracy is messy. A lot of democracy is really messy. Well, we have a caller mm-hmm. um, here, and I'd love to bring mm-hmm. him on. Starchild from San Francisco. Welcome to State of the Bay.
4: Hi, thank you very much. Uh, I, uh, I can hear you okay now. Uh, the the quality of the recording on the phone was really bad, so let me turn down my radio so I'm not getting feedback here because I was listening to the radio. This is.
0: okay? Comments well, going out over the phone. With yeah, guys. but and what's but, your your take, Starchild?
4: Yeah, well, my take is that uh, if you look at the big picture over time, San Francisco city government has grown astronomically you know the budget is, is like 14 billion dollars a year now which is bigger than many states entire state budgets and the number of employees has also skyrocketed um i don't have the numbers in front of me to tell you exactly what it's been you know but any report looking at you know city government and why it's not working should be looking at that issue it's simply too big it's trying to do too many things for too many people it's interfering in too many aspects of people's lives and that's what makes it, you know, ungovernable and unaccountable because it's so complex, as, as one of the guests pointed out, when people don't even know who their supervisor is, you know, how can they hope to get a handle on this huge, complex government? I mean, there's like dozens and dozens of different boards and commissions, and who knows what they're doing, you know? Well, that's, um,
0: a, that's a really good people, point, yeah. Um, but just
4: one, one final thing, you yeah. know, I think it's morally outrageous and unconscionable that we have thousands of city government employees making six-figure salaries while there's thousands of people living homeless on the streets whose taxes are going, in part, to pay for those salaries, the taxes that they pay. Not to mention all the loss of opportunities and the ways that they're criminalized for doing things like using their own cars as taxis or renting out rooms in their homes or selling things on the street. Mm -hmm. They could be using to support themselves, but instead we have this big government system that criminalizes them or regulates their you know their lives in ways that are not accountable to them. Mm-hmm. I guess individuals do not have agency. Well, thanks you know, for those. Love to see somebody address that. We <laughs> live you... in this one-party yes. town, yeah. you know, where the.
0: Well, um, Sharkey, I wanted to take one of those questions to you, which is the size of city government and, you know, Starchild's observation that maybe there are too many city employees and the size of the departments are too big. What is that something that you agree with? Was that – did you have a similar reflection or not?
3: I mean, that's a really uh, – <laughs> that's a – I like how you gave me that question. I okay, mean, why are we well, talking about I mean...
0: <laughs> Well, or Kanishka or Jason, I mean, what is the size of yeah. city government? Yeah, Kanishka. No,
3: Well, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to answer it. Uh-huh. Um, look, it's, it's nothing's really that simple. I mean, if you want to streamline government, I think you, you could start with getting rid of all the commissions and then add them back one by one. Uh, that would, uh, as needed, that probably be helpful. I mean, it's. The actual size of government—the issue—I'm not—I'm not a hundred percent certain on that. I mean, of course, every organization—like, d- you look hard enough, you can find uh, stuff to get rid of. Uh, you know, maybe we could—you uh, uh, know—restructure our departments periodically. We do that. I'm, I'm sure Jason can probably talk about some of the different times in, in Knishka too. About some of the different times we've restructured the, the departments, but at the end of the day, uh, I don't know. Is is uh, we have what thirty eight thousand employees um, with uh, rough population of roughly eight hundred thousand, uh, and probably one of the world's biggest economies uh, by uh, as a percentage per capita of our population. Is that an appropriate staffing level? I mean I, I'm I'm not sure that's our biggest problem I think we probably have um a, a bigger problem would be just the coherency of the employees that we
0: have. Hmm. Well, let me reintroduce the program. This is State of the Bay on Local Public Radio, 91.7 KALW KALW Bay Area, and I'm Grace Wan. Tonight, we're discussing whether changes to San Francisco's government might help our city address some of its most challenging problems. We're joined by Kanishka Chang of Together SF, Sharkey Laguana of the San Francisco Homeless Oversight Commission, and Jason McDaniel of SF State. And we want to hear from you. What frustrations do you have with city government? Have you worked in city government or been on a commission? Give us a call at 866-798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. Or email, email us at stateofthebay at org. Kanishka, I think you were trying to um, say something before I had to reintroduce us.
2: Yeah, um, I just wanted to say about the the size of the city government, right, that Starchild brought up. Now, this wasn't explored in our report because I think it's more of a symptom of policy decisions and not necessarily the structure of the government. But I think what does happen because of the structure of the government and the sort of the lack of clear accountability and direct decision making is there's something about the culture of our city government that prohibits people from making sort of decisive decisions around what's working and what's not working. And I think that that has resulted in this attitude of um, city employees, which many of them are incredible workers and they're here to carry out really important work of our city and they are truly passionate public servants. But there is something happening with the way our city operates in that if something is not working, if a team isn't working, if an employee isn't working well, there is a hesitancy to address that the way it would be addressed in the private sector through performance improvements or, or direct management. And instead what the city does is set up an alternative team, set up a parallel team, set up something right above that team or that person. And so there's never cutting, there's only growing. And that is, that is something that I think any city employee would tell you, it's just the norm of how the city operates. And that's more of a San Francisco bureaucratic cultural thing I think that happens mm-hmm. here.
0: I think that happens at private companies, too. You know, so it's it's, yeah, tough. It it's, it's tough.
2: In well, those big corporations, yeah. yes.
3: It, it happens at small businesses, too. I'm afraid
0: to, uh, <laughs> oh,
1: say.
3: no. Um, but
0: I think, Kanishka, you're, you're kind of honing in on something, which is the culture of the city government, right? And in yeah. in that vein, this idea of culture, I wanted to talk about the district supervisor elections. I mean, I've lived in the city long enough to be, to know, like, I used to vote for supervisors at large. And then we went to a district election system um, because there was a feeling that this, the super, Board of Supervisors was really not representative, going back to something that Jason said, of trying to be as inclusive as as possible as we can. Um, so Jason, just to give, frame it for us, how many districts do we have? And can, are you allowed to vote for a supervisor outside of your district?
1: Uh, no, we do. We do have <laughs> single member districts now um, that up until there's, there was going on back and forth in, in the 70s, you know, from the 30s to the 70s, they were at large elected by citywide. You know, there were no districts. It was citywide elections. Um, then there were single member districts uh, for a few years. Then from 81 to 1999, there were, uh, you know, there's 11 uh, board of supervisors members elected at large. And then in uh, 2000, uh, we moved to single-member districts uh, elected either by runoff election and then in 2004 by ranked-choice voting. And what this has done and what this does is, you know, it's something that I tend to support is district elections because it does a much better job of representing the diversity of the city, uh, um, especially the changing diversity. Think about the demographic changes that were going on during this time, uh, making the, political, the board more representative of the community. I think there's no doubt that that's been the case. Political science research has supported this time after time after time. Time that in cities where um, especially uh, um, unrepresented communities are geographically concentrated, like we often see here in San Francisco, um, that that district elections do a much better job of representing uh, uh, those communities and, and electing people, uh, getting elected officials from those communities. We've done a great job with that in San Francisco, but there's a trade-off. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is there are fewer and fewer, you know, um, elected officials that are uh, incentivized to think citywide, to think about the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what we have then is a political process that is really responsive to neighborhoods, to communities, to organize interest groups, uh, you know, in those communities as well. Uh, um, And I think. It's possible then that what we've seen is a, re, is a balancing away from maybe some of the more citywide concerns like efficiency or, you know, taxing and spending and uh, how well distributed our funds are to more maybe a, a bloated kind of government. Hmm. Again, I, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, the caller uh, kind of kind of took a swipe at city workers. I think that's something that uh, I was glad to hear more of a defense of that. But overall, I think – San Francisco Residents support a very strong, large government that's active and doing things. It's more that when we have that, it's that there's problems, and a lot of these problems are systemic and structural, but we seem to be seeing recurrence rather than solutions, right? Overall, though, I think the way in which we elect our our board has had an impact, right? And I think that's part of the reason why we've seen so many ballot measures introduced by the board, uh, approved by voters that have curtailed mayoral authority as well. Mm. And I think the voters seem to... uh, they tend to overwhelmingly approve these. And I think they tend to support that one at a time overall, right? I think perhaps we, we've gotten a system that's out of balance from citywide versus community sort of interest.
0: Well, Kanishka, Great. one of the um, proposals in the Together SF report, also from Claremont McKenna, is that there should be supervisors who are voted in um, in at-large or citywide supervisor seats. Tell mm-hmm. us about that proposal and why you think that would make a difference.
2: Yeah, so the recommendation is to have a hybrid board of supervisors where there is some mix of district representation and at-large representation. Um, Something I thought that was really interesting the report identified was that um, jurisdictions that have some citywide representation versus just districts tend to be more pro-housing. So it's a great example exactly what Jason articulated as people um, are electing someone to represent their smaller and smaller geographic interests. Of course, that becomes a housing development issue. And so that's just one way that a citywide, having a mix of citywide representation can help to Um, force the legislative body to think about the greater city's need and not just what is um, most important to their residents in their district. The other thing um, that we talk about a lot at Together I Stop at our events is that, you know, in San Francisco, we have 11 districts. Each district is about 80,000 residents. Only about half of them are registered voters And only about half of them vote in the supervisor races. So you're starting to see why this representation is catering to a narrower and narrower demographic and a narrower um, sort of worldview. So uh, the report really does recommend adding in some citywide seats. Now, because of obviously the California Voting Rights Act, we would never go back to a full citywide Board of Supervisors, um, there are fewer and fewer cities that are having entirely at-large legislative bodies. We would still have to have some mix of districts, and I think that's important because San Franciscans do still want to have that – more hyper local representation of their neighborhood interests and I think there's a way that we can find that balance. Mm.
0: Well, a listener from we have some emails and a listener from San Francisco writes in the 2000s and early 2010s publications like the Atlantic magazine highlighted how unique San Francisco politics were due to all of the citizen interests and coalitions driving collaboration and coalition building was how things got done. Is it the issue that our politicians today aren't compromising in the same way? Do you think that's the problem, Sharky? It's not the fact that we have a lot of participation. It's the fact that people aren't willing to compromise.
3: Well, you know, there's a couple issues that are intersecting. One is we have social media now, so uh, people can be much more aware of diverging opinions and and get into it with with, uh, people with different opinions and and frankly get addicted to that conflict. Uh, The second thing is that uh, you know, going back to what Jason was talking about earlier, we now have uh ballot measures or, or voter initiatives uh and the result is is now that we can cater to um, any particular segment and, and give them what they want uh the um, uh, uh, you know one of one of the uh challenges with that i you know, like i've I've always felt that uh handing over democracy in a constitutional republic, which is what we have, handing it over to just essentially whatever uh, the crowd thinks um, isn't a great outcome because people don't have the ability to to see things in context. And it actually uh, helps drive politicians into uh, using more conflict-oriented language, like I'm gonna fight for this, or I'm gonna fight for that, or I'm gonna beat up this, um, and and the you know I think uh, we've had supervisors say uh, that compromise is not a value that they should strive for at the board of supervisors. I won't name the supervisor, but um, uh, the, the somebody else can if they want to. But my point is, uh, I think that we would be well served by curtailing the power of, of ballot measures. I, I want to see a ballot measure that would require all ballot measures to su- automatically sunset after five years. If it's such a great idea, make it a law. Uh, w- 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 this idea that we're going to turn over each and every little piece of how government is organized and just hand it over to a bunch of people who, A, have no idea how it's organized um, and ask them to vote on it. I mean, are we going to vote on whether there's going to be a stop sign at, at Mangles and Forrester? Or are we going to vote on uh, whether or not the street lamp is going to be fixed. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous that we've assigned so much of government's power to just whoever can craft a, a ballot measure that sounds appealing. And the result is, uh, going back to what I was saying before and, and, and Kanishka uh, 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 highlighted, there's a lack of coherency hmm. in government. And that coherency is what we've lost by not giving leaders not giving voters the benefit of the government that they voted
0: for. You know and that I mean the idea of the ballot initiative I mean obviously it's a lot like the proposition system we have at the state level. It's there's something about California that and Californians that don't really want to cede all their power to politicians and I Jason's in the studio with me and he's nodding and you know about this and you know the ballot initiative we've talked about a little bit but is that where it comes from this idea that citizens don't really trust the politicians? I
1: think it's it certainly is you know um even when they like individual politicians, uh, we in California, and this in a lot many places in the country, but I think especially that strain of it in California, which is we're highly involved, we're highly aware, especially here in San Francisco, it's a vibrant culture of participation, and yet we also then only trust ourselves more than we trust anybody else, right? And I think it's important to note that San Francisco's ballot measure system is probably the most permissive and accessible of any in the state, and therefore probably anywhere in the country. We have created a system where the politicians don't have to compromise right mm-hmm. because what they do by they've allowed they, they've changed some uh, rules to allow members of the board to put things on the ballot with only a minority of the board members right mm-hmm. that didn't used to mm-hmm. be the case so we we've lowered the thresholds for citizens to get both charter reform and and non-charter uh, measures on the ballot what we've done is created a system where we've uh, emphasized our own authority in the ballot measure and we've created things like ballot box budgeting and planning decisions by the ballot box because then Politicians can say, well, we can't compromise. This is my vision. That vision of the mayor or whoever else is is completely the opposite of that. I'm just going to go to the voters. And yeah. we have dueling ballot measures, which we've seen repeatedly over the last couple of yes. years. These dueling ballot measures are uh-huh. oftentimes designed to... You know, trade on the confusion of voters that I think Sharky rightly points to that voters are trying and they mean well, but they're going to be confused about some things. I, I was confused about the last, you know, last one around uh, streamlining some of the, housing. the prop around C housing, ones, right? yeah, those were confusing, and, yeah, and, and, and the prop C ones, are, you know, as well. So it's like this stuff is very confusing, even with some, someone like me or uh, I, I suppose members of the other panel who are insiders that, <laughs> that you know, it's hard to tell the difference, right? <laughs> and so I know that people don't want to hear this, but it's often the fault is in our stars, so to speak. That's voters, we the voters that given ourselves a little bit too much democracy and we trust ourselves. I don't know if that's going to change, but I agree. I would like to see, uh, you know, many of the things cannot be uh, amended by the city government, right, if it's approved by the voters. It only can be changed by voters, and that can be both difficult and confusing. It, it, it is not the way to make policy, and I think it's a really important reason why we have a lot of the problems that we have or the inability to solve some of these problems is the way in which we voters have unintentionally or not, created a very complex and confusing right. system.
0: You know, Kanishka, what is the report's um, suggestion in regards to ballot initiatives? And before you answer, I'll say, I mean, maybe 25 years ago or 20 years ago, I got my ballot came in and one of the ballot initiatives was to rename the sewage sewage system after George Thanks. W. Bush. And honestly, I thought... This is not worth the paper it's written on. There's so many right. problems and we had to pay so much for this ballot to be printed. Um, so tell us what your report suggestion is or your organization's suggestion is.
2: Yes. Yeah, so uh, reforming the path to the ballot was one of the four major recommendations from the report. Exactly what Jason articulated, that um, San Francisco is actually the only city where a minority of the legislative body, just four supervisors or just the executive slowly herself, can put a policy on the ballot just by their signatures. That doesn't exist anywhere else. Similarly, just 2% of registered voter signatures can put legislation on the ballot. In other California cities, it's 10%. I think there are some that are 5%, but we are by far the, the, um, the easiest path to the ballot. And in the interviews, the report conducted, um, the study authors conducted about 30 interviews with former city officials. And um, this clause that four members of the Board of Supervisors can put something on the ballot was um, discussed as coming into a negotiation. It's like having a gun on the table. It just it incentivizes brinkmanship with these negotiations where it's just impossible to get to compromise because you can take something to the ballot. Um, The other part of this that is sort of cynical is that um, politicians do have an additional incentive to take things Um, to the ballot because ballot measures, you can raise a lot of money for ballot measures and you can promote yourself as the author of that measure. So there's just an additional layer of why politicians want to take things to the ballot rather than working out a compromise amongst themselves and kind of doing the job they've been elected to do.
0: Mm. Well, let's go back to the phones. We've got Chris um, online too. Chris, welcome to State of the Bay. Oh,
5: thank you so much. Um, I'll I'll say one brief thing just in favor of referendums. I mean, those of us who've been in California for a long time certainly remember that the uh, ballot box budgeting that was coming from initiatives was actually a little bit better than the ballot box, than the actual budgeting from the legislature. But I do agree that having the council involved as easily involved in referenda in San Francisco is not great. I just wanted to say, I've left the city, but I still own a tiny little piece of land there. And, you know, it's it's the structure of the permitting process that keeps us from, you know, since we're, we're, you know, we are we know don't have a lot of resources, we don't think that we could actually figure out how to get through the permitting process. Um, and, you know, it's a very direct, uh, you know, impact. Um, if there is a, you know, a, a structural thing, I would think about it'd be whether or not we need a historical preservation commission in addition to a planning commission, which is really not that old. It was a fairly recent addition could
6: probably be gotten rid of mm.
0: well that's a really good point and sharky i want to take that question to you i mean the difficulties that residents in the city have and maybe not just in, in developing a piece of property but renovations or other things that make city living harder when you can't get what you need done is there something to be said about reforming some of these commissions uh
3: well so first of all um Some of the complexities of the permitting process are a direct result of of the the ballot measures uh, that have been passed in uh, in the past uh, that have uh, created commissions that that are difficult to manage um, and and in many cases directly uh, impacted uh, local businesses and building processes uh, to make them uh, harder to deal with. Uh, You know, I, I increasingly I am just of the opinion. Uh, that we would be better off with uh, taking a step back. If if we could somehow hit a giant reset button, uh, I, I I think that's kind of what needs to happen. Or or, or you know uh, reboot the computer and pull out the cord for a minute and and uh, <laughs> let it uh, let it reset. Uh, because uh, essentially, what you have is a lot of different um, it. it power structures that have uh, become kind of calcified within the system. I mean, uh, earlier, Kanishka was talking about the the need for uh, hybrid supervisors. I've been thinking for a while we can't do it because of the Voting Rights Act, but I've been thinking, you know, it'd be fun if we oscillated every election cycle between at-large supervisors and district supervisors. Because then that way, no political power structure could ever gain the kind of regulatory capture that we have now. And it seems to me it's, it's these uh, uh, power structures that, that uh, you know, they're incentivized to capture the regulatory power, and they do. And then inevitably when they do, things get weird.
0: Things get weird indeed. Um, Kanishka, I wanted to ask you with the time that we have left, what's going to happen with this report? Where is Together SF taking it?
2: So we really see the findings of the report as sort of a playbook, a path to do exactly the reset that Sharky is is talking about. Um, We saw last week that Supervisor Mandelman made an announcement that he is taking some of these ideas and trying to put together. A charter reform effort through the Board of Supervisors. This is very similar to what happened in 1996, where the Board of Supervisors put forward a charter reform effort that was then sent to the voters. Um, it's important to remember that a, a, a rewrite of the charter that exceeds more than one subject can only happen through the Board of Supervisors. So if we as an organization wanted to pursue charter reform, we would have to um, separate out different charter amendments and uh, propose them as a package together. So we are hopeful that the board process results in the charter reform effort that we can enthusiastically support. Um, We're very happy with some of the ideas that Reiser Mandelman discussed uh, that he is putting forward. We think some of it could be a lot stronger. um, And so we will be engaging on that effort and hopeful that we can get something that we're all really happy with to come out of that effort and be put to the voters um, for the November 2024 general election.
0: And if people want to learn more about the report, where can they find it?
2: So you can find it at tsfaction.org. We have a link to the full report there. We have a blog post that's sort of a summary. It is um, a bit lengthy, but the executive summary is only about four or five pages and is um, a great summary of the whole report. Well,
0: you know, people need to get informed. I mean, if we're going to have the if yes. we have the
2: if we have the city that Jason has
0: described, where it's very inclusive and lots of people want to get involved, no problem. Reading a four-page summary, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, I want to thank all of you for coming on to talk to us about this issue, and I look forward to actually continuing the conversation to see where this goes. Um, there's so much to talk about, but I'm afraid we're out of time. We've spent we been talking about San Francisco city government and we were joined by Kanishka Chang of Together SF. Thanks for joining us, Kanishka.
2: Thank you so much, Grace.
0: Yeah. And Jason McDaniel of San Francisco State. Thanks so much, Jason, for being here. It was a pleasure. And Sharky Liguana, as we called an insider, he's (laughs) on the San Francisco Homeless Oversight Commission. Sharky, it was really great to hear from you.
3: I'm going to appoint Jason to a commission uh, (laughs) next week and make him an insider,
0: too. I think he he had a cardiac infarction in the studio. Um, Well, thank you all for joining us. And coming up after the break, I'll sit down with two leaders of the San Francisco Bay Area Theater Company. We'll learn about how their innovative approach and commitment to bringing diversity to productions is changing the Bay Area theater scene. We'll be right back.
5: Tune in to Cross
7: Currents tomorrow morning at 11. We'll hear about the challenges of finding and maintaining love behind bars.
1: She ended up telling me, you know, I, I can't go on with this relationship because I can't stand leaving, leaving prison and not taking you with me when I leave these visits.
5: Stories of love and loss on the newest episode of Uncuffed.
7: That's tomorrow morning at 11 on CrossCurrents from KALW News.
1: Tune into KALW tonight at 7. It's the Town Hall. And this week, we're headed to Manny's in San Francisco's Mission District for a debate about policies and practices serving unhoused people.
0: If people's underlying addiction has to do with their trauma and our substance abuse treatment system does not have any trauma treatment in it, what the hell are we doing?
1: It's the KALW Town Hall, Manny's Homelessness Debate. That's tonight at 7 here on KALW, San Francisco Bay Area.
7: I can stand with pride. I will no longer. Nothing break my stride I to sing, I to sing I'll walk in dignity With my humanity I'll be forever free Cause I to sing
0: Well, that song you just heard—I hope you were bopping and rocking to that. It's the title song from *I to Sing America*, a production from the San Francisco Bay Area Theater Company, better known as SF Batco. It was founded by two graduates of the Ruth Asawa School of Arts, and the company engages artists and audiences audiences through live theater productions, creative development, and community service initiatives that resonate with Bay Area perspectives. A key goal is to bring more diverse voices into the entire process of putting productions on stage. Here tonight to tell us about SF Batco and its work, we're pleased to jo- to be joined by its co-founder and artistic director Rodney Earl Jackson Jr. Welcome to State of the Bay, Rodney. Hello, hello. How are you all doing? Oh, you. fantastic! So happy to have you. That song is beautiful. We're also here joined here by Adam Maggio. He's SF Batco's managing director. Thanks for joining us, Adam.
6: Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah. Well, Rodney, I want to start with you. I mean, I, in the intro, I talked a little bit about how you're a Ruth Asawa high school graduate. But tell us how this production company started.
7: Yes. Ah, San Francisco, what an incredible place, a place where so much vibrancy in the foundations of a lot of us as artists um came from. SF Bacco started almost 10 years ago. It was an idea, a good friend of ours, me and Adam's good friend Marcelo Javier Pareda and myself Rodney Jackson. We wanted to create a production company that spoke to people who looked like us. We were both queer people of color growing up in this city and we knew that we loved theater, we lo- loved the magic of theater, and we were off, you know, finding our own Broadway dreams. I was at Carnegie Mellon University, he was at Syracuse University, and we found ourselves in New York City, where there wasn't lots of opportunity for people who looked like us, who had our perspectives. So we came back to home. Don't people do that? They find mm-hmm. their way back. That- and at home, we found the magic of being able to have a voice and speak to this new, you know, sociopolitical climate that was taking over our incredible city that made us the artists that we are. So we founded SFBACA with the mission of, you know, uniting artists and audiences that have a, that tell stories that reflect the global majority of the people who comprise it. So that's Bacco's origin okay. in that
0: Well, leading into the segment, we heard this song, I Too Sing America. And Adam, I wanted to ask you how that musical came about, since it's an example of the really unique way that S.F. Batco is supporting theater development.
6: Yeah, um, it's been a long journey with I Too Sing America. It was another uh, friend of Ronnie and mine, Jamie Ewan Shore, who uh, we all met doing San Francisco Arts Education Project when we were eight years old. Um, they came into our public schools and artists and residents to our public schools. And we formed this network of good friends who all loved theater and we stayed friends. And then Jamie worked with uh, um, Othello Jefferson, who was our music director at young people's Teen musical theater company and uh, a program of SF Rec and park. Um, and he had a book of poems by uh, writers of color and and, um, Langston Hughes was the main one and he would read them to his young daughters. And um, Jamie said, let's create a musical taking the works of writers from all different backgrounds and putting them to original music and choreography. Um, And from that, I mean, that is where Rodney and Marcello kind of went, Hey, it's great to do Sweeney Todd and it's great to do into the woods and we love All of that old work, but we can create our own work and we can create our own work that's really specific to not only who we are, but also who what San Francisco is and all of the different types of people that make this an amazing city amazing um, region in the Bay Area.
0: Well, as much as I mean, it's amazing that you all started this theater company here. But what I I also think is a love letter to San Francisco is how public school education, SF Parks and Rec programming that you mentioned, Adam, kind of influenced the both of you to find these careers in the arts. Um, We hear so much about how funding is being cut for arts programming in public schools. And, you know, tell, can you talk a little bit about what difference it made for you as a young kid, Adam, to be exposed to that?
6: For sure. I mean, I, my parents never would have put me into the arts if if it wasn't for SF Arts Ed and and Danny Duncan, who um, was, came to rooftop elementary school when I was in the third grade. And uh, had me sing Snoopy. <laughs> and I joined the after-school program where I met these other guys, and and um, it was a whole new world. You know, it was it was something that my older brother didn't do, so that was awesome. Um, but it was just I, I'd never been around so many people who were so committed to showing up on Saturday mornings and making, doing this crazy, crazy thing that we do. And, um, you know, Dan, and we did a lot of Danny Duncan's original shows when we were kids. Um, but yeah, it just, it felt like, it felt like I was meeting people from all different, parts of the Bay area that I, that I wasn't doing little league, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And Rodney, a distinctive feature of Batco is, is its community service. Um, it's desire to engage with the community in that way. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
7: Yeah. You know, it's funny listening to you say that Adam has inspired me so much because we were those kids who we hope and pray and wish to inspire now. Mm-hmm. One of our main service initiatives is going into schools and we go into a couple of different after-school programs and the actual schools. Ida B. Wells is one of them as a continuation high school in San Francisco. We have a commitment of going into them, into their school, and providing artistic, performing arts programming. Along with another program called Mo Magic, which is at in El at El Hill Hutch, which is a community center for the um, African American community in the Fillmore, and we have a commitment to going into their program twice a week as well. So, those are part of those like. Um, this is not just for the now, but it's for the next generation because we were given and in, people invested in us, people like Mr. Danny Duncan, SF Arte, our wonderful high school, our Educational institutions—they invested in us, and now we want to, you know, pay that forward. Be part of the ecology and the the arts ecosystem in San Francisco to continue to—I don't want to say pump out more artists, but you know, (laughs) uh, inspire more folk who want to give to the artistic ecosystem here in San Francisco. It's so important. People didn't realize during the pandemic everyone turned to art, Mm. everyone books, or they was making bread. They was doing something, you know. (laughs) So all artistic. And like, if we lose sight of that, you know, who, what, what kind of world will we be in looking at the world right now it's there's so much turmoil and hurt. Yeah, you know, okay. we, we can't solve all the world's problems. But I've been saying this lately, like, you know, our theatrical mediums can be the medicine they can speak to the, the the nature of healing, which I think is so important right now for our world.
0: Well, Rodney, I mean, it's not easy to have a theater company in San Francisco. It's just not easy to have a theater company, I think. Uh, I've never run one, but I'm guessing uh, just because people are distracted and theater isn't what isn't the place uh, that people normally go when they've got streaming this and, you know, people don't even go to the movies. So how do you sustain your organization and, and how does being in the Bay Area affect what you do and who you are as an organization?
7: I love this question. So we we, we do good stuff.
0: <laughs> well, that's and a good answer.
7: <laughs> it's really valuable. You know, you can't just be, oh, it's really cool and interesting. Is it good? Is there quality? Yes. And we're speaking to the community and populations of people who want to have a voice here. I think that people ask like, what is the authentic perspective of San Francisco? It's the voices of, and the narratives of the people who live here, people who want to be here. You know, I, I feel like San Francisco is such a wonderfully diverse place with so many different types of stories. And to keep people wanting to come to theater, it requires us to continue to stay relevant, continue to like right. meet where they're at, you know, continue to like bring them stories of things that they didn't even want to see. You know, I, I love bringing artistic pieces of joy, but I also like bringing artistic pieces of challenging folk. Hmm. We're doing a piece next year, or in two years, called "The Day the Sky Turned Orange," because we know five, four, or five years ago we had that crazy, faithful. Oh yes,
0: yes, yeah.
7: So how does that theatrical piece meet the conversations of the world right now, meet the conversations of San Francisco, meet the conversations that artists and people of color and people who are of the global majority are having right now? So that's what inspires me and keeps people in San Francisco, I hopefully, as inspired as well.
0: Well, the New Roots Festival is coming up next weekend, and we have about a minute left. And Adam, I wanted to ask you, what should we expect if we go and where can we get tickets?
6: All right. What you should expect, you should expect... All different types of theater and performing arts. We have amazing dance companies. We have theater. We have solo performances. We have music. Um, some of the most respected and beloved artists in the Bay Area will be there. It's November 10th through 12th, this Friday through Sunday. You can go to www.sfbatco.org to get your tickets, sfbatco.org. And it's going to be an incredible weekend of art, community, family, culture, Brava Theater Center and the Mission, um, an amazing venue. If you haven't been, you need to check it out. Amazing. And yes.
0: Well, listeners, you heard that first. Put down your phone, get over to the New Roots Festival, and you'll get a chance to see our guests tonight, Rodney Jackson and Adam Maggio from SF Bacco. To the both of you, thanks for joining
6: us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Right.
0: Well, that's it for State of the Bay this week. And we hope you'll join us next Monday at 6 when we'll sit down with SF Chronicle urban design critic John King to discuss his new book about the history of the Ferry Building. I'm reading it, and it's amazing. For more information about this and other State of the Bay shows, visit the State of the Bay page on KALW.org. And if you have any questions or comments about anything you heard tonight, let us know. Email us at stateofthebay at KALW.org. Tonight's show was produced by Chris Nooney. It was engineered by David Kwan, and D Minor was our board operator. I'm Grace Wan. Good night, and thanks for listening.